Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fresh Start Podcast, a show where we share success principles, explore the stories, experiences, and journey of real people in order to provide newcomers with strategies to succeed. As you already know, my name is David Ojainka. On today's episode, I'll be talking to Rachel Awe. Rachel is an executive business and IT leader with extensive experience in developing, communicating, executing, and sustaining corporate enterprise-wide strategic initiatives in order to achieve long-term strategic vision and growth. Rachel has held management roles in several major global corporations, such as ExxonMobil, TD Bank, CS Canada, and Saks Fifth Avenue. And she's currently the Associate Vice President, Executive Integration, and Office of the CEO at Canadian Tire Corporation, serving as the Chief of Staff to the CEO. Rachel is PMP certified. She holds an undergraduate degree in Information Technology from York University and an Executive MBA degree from the prestigious Kellogg Schulich School of Business at Northwestern and York University. Rachel is happily married to Anu and together they have two children. Please help me in welcoming Rachel Aware. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Rachel. Anytime. Happy to be here. Thank you. So let's just get right into the conversation. There's a story behind every decision to migrate. What was yours? All right. So for me, um, I was fortunate enough to be born here in Canada. So I, and I lived here. I was born here and left when I was seven. So at seven, my family moved back to Nigeria. And I lived in Nigeria between the ages of seven to 18. And when I look back, I always tell my parents, I tell my parents to this day, like they made the best decision. Like there couldn't have been any better decision for us to have that opportunity to live in Nigeria all those years. I mean, I think one of the best things for me living there between the age of seven to 18 is, you know, I was able to build my confidence of who I am as a black person outside of the noise of racism. So I don't think I knew there was anything called racism or anything like that until I was like, you know, probably 19 or 20 until I moved back. And so having those years living in Nigeria, again, I look back so fondly on everything I learned and, and you know, just having the opportunity to live in a third world country and understand what it means to be live in a third world country and, and, and the differences and the opportunities you get when you move to uh, a place like North America. And um, some of the things that, you know, a lot of North Americans take for granted, it just gives you a completely different perspective, which, you know, I've really loved. And I always say, I, I hope I have the opportunity to give my, my kids the same um, opportunity to live somewhere like Nigeria for, for some time of their life. And so I moved back to Nigeria at, at the age of 18 for university. And all my siblings, we all kind of followed the same pattern. Um, you know, my mom lived with us in Nigeria where my dad was back and forth. He was working in Canada and he kind of came back and forth. And has every kid sort of finished high school, we kind of moved back um, um, to Canada for university. So I came back at 18 and again, fortunate for me at the time, my, my siblings, I'm the last of four kids. So all my siblings were already here and kind of had gone through the ropes of going through university. So I had people to show me the way and what to do and how to, put, how to get myself through. So again, I think I was really fortunate and lucky in that perspective. And uh, when I got here, I started at York University, I think the year I got here. And you know, what's funny was um, I remember when I came I had sort of talked to a few people trying to figure out like the university system and how do I sort of move from, you know, the Nigerian system because I, I didn't do SATs or anything like that. I did the Nigerian um, exams and, and things of like, how do I kind of utilize that and kind of break into North America without having to repeat a class? Because people had said, you're going to have to repeat grade 13. And I remember thinking, oh God, that means I have to go another year of high school. And so um, I said, you know what, I'm just going to apply. Like, what's the worst that can happen? Like, the worst that can happen, they can say no. So I said, I'll just take my, my high school results and I'm going to apply. And I did. And I remember when I got the letter, um, my, my brother, I think it was my brother and sister had brought me the letter and was like, oh, look, your, your admission letter came. I was like, no, no, no. You know, they're not going to accept me. Like, um, everyone already told me that I can't get accepted. I'm going to have to do, you know, grade 13 or do O-levels all over again. And my brother was like, but it says congratulations on the envelope. So I was like, oh, okay. And I opened it and, you know, it did say congratulations. And so I was lucky enough again to, um, you know, be able to start university within a few months of me arriving in Canada. And then the rest is kind of history from there. So 
I went to um, York University. I had an undergrad in information technology. And um, after that, I started sort of, again, started my career right from there. I was lucky enough while I was in university to work in a company um, called Monero Solutions. I worked in a call center. And so um, while I was in the call center, I remember thinking, you know, I just want to work in the IT department because I want to make sure that I can use my degree in my profession. And so I would, I was able to like, you know, network with some people and got my way into the IT department to start shadowing. So I worked at the call center, but like on my days off or after hours, I would shadow in the IT department. And then I was lucky as soon as I finished my degree, I was able to get a permanent position in IT. And uh, that's how I just kind of started my career from there. Mm, yeah, you said a lot of very interesting things that I would like us to uncover in the course of this conversation. Uh, you said you, you spoke about perspectives, like, right? Because you had a, a completely different worldview um, because of, your, of the environment you grew up in. And when you came to Canada, um, some voices were telling you that you can't, you can't do some certain things, but you went against the grain and you still decided to apply. When you wanted to make the application to York University, did you speak to someone before you made that decision or you just made that decision out of the blues, even though the voices around you were telling you that you should not do it? And who were the voices that were around you that were telling you not to do it? If you don't mind talking to us about that. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I think I was lucky um, that my, my, I had older siblings who had kind of gone through the process. So all my siblings had gone to York University as well. And then I'll never forget, I remember this was someone I had kind of come across who lived here, who kind of had experience and I was kind of talking about, you know, trying to apply for university. And this one particular person, and it, it was a friend of a friend, had said, no, 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 don't worry, they're not going to take you, don't apply. And, and it, was, it was that friend of a friend and my sister and I. And so at the time, again, I had just moved here as the youngest of four, and it was my oldest sister. So she was going to give me the money to apply. So I remember laughing saying, you know what, it doesn't matter. My sister's paying for it anyway, so I'm going to do it and reply anyways. And I think for me, that's kind of my personality. I feel like um, I, I don't really listen to people saying, no, you can't. I'm always of the opinion, well, I'll try. And I, and I, I do, and, and I don't think the person who said, no, don't, it's not going to work out, did it maliciously, but more of they weren't, they didn't know themselves. And that's one thing that I always do is, you know, a lot of times people who think they know may not actually know. And it's always good to always do your own research, your own second, just double check. Nothing, it never hurts to double check. And I remember saying to myself, you know what, what's the worst that could happen? Worst that could happen is they'll say no. And, you know, I would have lost $60 or my sister probably would have lost $60 because she gave me the money at the time. And I remember it, $60 specifically was the cost of the application at the time. And I said, you know, what, I'm going to try it out. And I think that's kind of the approach I really take to most things in life of, you know, I always double check and check again and try. I try regardless, like just try. Like even when I'm job searching, I always say to myself, I'm going to find the most senior person in this company and I'm going to email them. And, you know, what's the worst that could happen? They'll say no and I'll move on. But you know what? Maybe somebody will say yes. And, and that's just the one yes that you're looking for. And that was kind of the scenario that happened there. I said, you know, what? I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to apply anyways and see what happens. And, you know, it came back and I got in. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's impressive. Um, that's a very good mindset. And um, yeah. I'm sure you'll still touch on some of that in the course of this conversation. You also mentioned that you job shadowed while you were at the call center as a student. Not so many students would have that courage. If you can tell us how you build that connection to somebody in the IT department, how you eventually did the job shadowing and all that. So I, I honestly want to credit my Nigerian background. I feel like, you know, we grew up in a culture where it was like anything's possible. Like you just, you, you always try and you, you know, everything is possible. Nothing's within, not within your reach. And to this one, I credit my now husband at the time because he was also on a similar path. And we, you know, at the time, we, you know, we were, we were friends at the time. And he did the same thing where he, he, he actually got into the IT department before me. And I said, oh, you know, like, hook me up. Like, how did you do it? Like, I want to. And um, he introduced me to the manager that had helped him. And then that manager helped me as well. So um, I'll, I'll give him the credit. Um, he's my husband now. That was probably like, I don't know, like 17, 18 years ago. <laughs> 
um, that he, he kind of helped me in that process to, to connect me with someone who, who allowed me to start the job shadowing and kind of build from there. So when you moved at the age of 18, how did that transition happen? Did you just say, okay, now I've come of age, it's time for me to move from Nigeria to Canada, or how did that transition happen? At what point did you decide that, or was it planned by your parents or your family, if you can, you know, explain that to us? I'm laughing because this is a funny story. When I think back, Actually, I'm going to call my mom this evening and remind her. So um, there's four of us and I'm the last of four kids. And um, each of my siblings, again, is kind of the same pattern. Like, you know, they finished, they finished, actually my first went to university, my first sister, she went to university in Nigeria. And then the other two, once they finished high school, they moved um, to Canada for university. And I was the baby and my parents at the time had started to process to retire back in Nigeria. So my dad was going to stop working in Canada and sort of stay permanent in Nigeria. And the plan was I was supposed to stay with them. So they wanted to hold on to at least one kid to be with them in Nigeria. And it was supposed to be me because I was the baby. And I was okay with that. Like I, you know, I love my parents and I loved Nigeria. I had no problem with that. But then at the time, um, I remember things were just volatile in Nigeria in the education system. My sister, who had gone to University of Ibadan, had had spent you know a number of years doing a four-year course because of a lot of strikes. Sometimes they would strike for like a year on end, and you know kids and the university students can go to school. And I remember seeing that. I remember seeing what my sister went through, and I remember thinking to myself like, I don't want to go through this. Um, you know, having to like, you know the uncertainty of can you even get into a university and then if you do get into it like how much time you have to spend doing it and i remember this one night that i thought about it and, I was, and i made up my mind i was like nope i don't want to do this i don't want to go through you know what my sister's gonna have to go through and i wrote a letter to my parents because i didn't know how to tell them that i didn't want to stay anymore because i was supposed to stay with them and i felt really guilty and i wrote a letter to them and i slipped the letter underneath their door and I walked away <laughs> and then I could hear. And so I, 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 was, I went to my room, but then when, when they came, when I heard them talking, so I went to the door and I was peeping and listening and I heard my mom, my dad saying to my mom, like, where did you get this from? And my mom's like, it was under the door. And it was like, well, when did she put it there? And they're like, I don't know. And they were like, what are we going to do? And so then I went away and I felt so guilty. I was like, oh man, I feel so guilty um, of leaving them. And so we talked about the next day and I just explained that, listen, like, I don't want to go through, you know, what my sister had to go through and all the time she had to spend, like, I want to have a solid, you know, university education. And so, you know, I, I think me moving back to Canada would be the only way I can get that. And my parents, God bless them. They were so good about it. I know, I know they were upset they were sad, but they also realized that, you know what, um, this makes sense. And at the time my dad had retired and moved back to Nigeria. So only my three siblings lived in Canada. And so for them, I know it's hard for them to send me, the last born, 18, on my own, to go and go join my siblings. But um, I mean, I think they decided that day, like, okay, fine, you know, you can go. And, uh, and then the rest was history. I left and uh, <laughs> here I am today. I'm going to call my mom and remind her, I'm like, you remember when I put that letter underneath your, your, your door and said I wanted to leave? <laughs> <laughs> That's that's a very interesting one. So let's now take your journey from from the time when you gained admission to university. How was university like for you? It was good. University was good. Again, I'm so lucky and so blessed. Um, my sister, my the sister, the one right before me, she's a year and a half older than me. She was at York at the time. And I remember my very first day of school, my sister sat, came with me and, and sat through every single class with me. Like she spent oh, wow. the entire day. She, I know she didn't go to any of her classes. She just spent the day with me in my classes for the entire day, my first day of university. She was so awesome. Um, and then after that, I think I was able to sort of, you know, find my way and I'm a nerd. I'm a bit of a nerd. So I enjoy school. <laughs> I'm that person that sits like right in the front and like <laughs> listens to the teacher and puts up my hand and answers every question and does all my work in advance. So I'm a big nerd. So, and I'm, in, I'm independent like that. So, um, you know, I, I, I enjoy school. I found my way and made my own friends, but again, it was really good having my sister who was, you know, around the same age bracket. So her friends became my friends. So I always, I always had a support system. I was never kind of alone. Um, and then I formed my own friends who became my sister's friends as well. And then, you know, and then my brother was also at the same university, uh, but he didn't hang out with us as much. <laughs> um, but, you know, at least I always had, 
um, I always had people there. I always had my family around me to kind of help. And again, being the last, I think I benefited a lot from being the last born because my siblings had all gone through it. And so they kind of helped me and I always had them there um, to support me as well. Wow, that's interesting. Were you one of those classmates that were annoying that were always asking <laughs> questions in class when other people are ready to leave the class and asking and kissing hi were you no. one of those students confession I wasn't time anno- i wasn't i wasn't annoying i wasn't annoying like that but okay. I, I probably was annoying so the thing with me is like when i'm in it i enjoy it but like i also i'm ready to party and do whatever has like the other person so um, it's funny because I, when i did my mba a couple of years ago mm-hmm. it was the same thing i'm always like friend of the class hands raised but not in an annoying way I, you know I, but, I, but, but, but to be fair to be fair too it has it has paid off mm-hmm. so speaking of friendship you, you you touched on it a little bit what role do you think that friends play in the lives of young people I think, you know, it's so important and critical the friends you surround yourself with because you, when you have a group of people who are more has successful and more successful than you, you don't want to be the one who's not. <laughs> you don't want to be the last in the group. You don't want to be, and I think, again, this is a big Nigerian mentality as well. It's like, you don't want to be the one that's not doing well. You don't want to be the one that's not getting good grades. You want to be, you know, on par with your friends. And so, Again, I think I've been just lucky enough to always have friends who are always just as ambitious, just as dedicated, just as, um, you know, motivated as I've been. Um, And so that, you know, we always kind of push each other along and encourage each other. I remember like my university friends, the friends I met probably day three, four of university are still my best friends to this day. And, you know, we're still, we're all on sort of the same sort of trajectory and path, which is great because we're all there to kind of support each other and be there for each other as we kind of see each other grow. Um, But again, I think seeing, you know, my friends do well also motivates me and pushes me to make sure I do well and make sure that I can kind of keep up with them. And so um, I think, you know, making sure you have a circle of people around you who motivate you that you want to keep up with that you want to make sure you don't fall behind um, is so important because again, that will always make sure that that will always keep you, you know, at the top of your game as well. Well, that's, that's good. But where do you draw the line between being motivated by your friends and being jealous? Because some people might say that, oh, mm-hmm. because I'm also aspiring to a certain level, then David too is aspiring to that level. Like, where do you draw the line? How, how do we differentiate between jealousy and being motivated? Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a personal thing. And I think that's something every person needs to ask themselves. And this is one of the things like people I mentor, I always say, never compare yourself to anyone else. That's always people's greatest downfall when you compare your relationship, your life, your success, your whatever to someone else is, is always your downfall because you can never be, you, you don't want to be someone else. You want to, you know, you want to um, mimic the motivation of someone else, but you shouldn't aspire to be that person or because that person has. And so that's kind of one of the guiding principles I always have is I never try and compare myself to someone else. Um, So for me, and I make sure I surround myself with people who I deem are true friends, right? So if you have people in your life who are true friends that you actually also want to see do well, it's, 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 it's easy not to be jealous. It's easy to be happier, happy for them. But you know, we're, we're human beings, of course, right? So you, you, there, there's always a time when, you know, something happens to someone else where you can have that jealousy, but be happy for them at the same time. But I think the, the distinction or the importance is, is to be able to admit it to yourself and to that person and, and use that to fuel yourself to move on as opposed to dwelling in someone else's success or, or, or you know, being upset because someone else is successful. So again, all my friends, or again, I try to make sure I always keep true friends where I can tell you to her face, like, oh my God, I'm so jealous of you. I want to be you. And still just use that to propel myself forward versus using that as a way to be upset or angry with my, with a friend. So I think, I feel like you would, for people you probably don't really truly care about is when you can have a jealousy that will be detrimental. Because of course we'll all be jealous. I, you know, that's just human nature. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for admitting that and um, putting it in good context. Thank you so much for that. So now let's, let's talk about the role that's internship, because you mentioned that while you were in school, you worked at the call center, then your now husband 
was the one that was the <laughs> connection between the call center and the IT department. Do you think that working while in school is important for, for students or for international students, especially because I, I hear yeah. stories of, you know, international students, some people have to pay so much money. Um, they still find, struggle to get a good job. Some eventually get jobs at call centers and all that. Some very heartbreaking stories. What role do you think internship plays in, in the success of international students or even students generally? I think it's really important because what happens, I find a lot of times, I know a lot of people like this is, you know, especially Nigerians, like we love education. You know, you, you find Nigerians who have their master's and PhD and stuff, but they never, they don't have any real world experience. Like they, they chase education. I call it, you know, professional students. The problem is, you know, especially nowadays, there's so much competition. Everyone has an MBA degree and all that. So how do you set yourself apart? You have to have some sort of real life experience that you can, that's tangible. Because when you go to interview, yeah, you look good on paper, but when, if you can't speak to real life situations, real life examples, real life things that you've done, you know, you, you fall to the bottom of the list. So coming out of school, having at least some sort of experience of how things work, what things, you know, um, scenarios that you can sort of explain yourself or articulate yourself in interviews is so important. It, it just puts you over the edge um, above everyone else. And again, now we're, things are so competitive. So now let's talk about the progression to corporate leadership role. How did you make that progression to senior management level? Uh, so again, I think like anything, there's always people you credit along the way who you who now in hindsight you think about you know the impact that they have they had on you. And so when I when I started in the IT department, I remember the manager at the time, and I credit him to this day. Uh, he actually found my skill before I did. He was the first one who kind of knew, realized that, oh my God, like this girl's like a really good project manager. And now I say like, I'm not, I'm not a project manager by trade. I'm a project manager by nature because everything I do, like from like planning dinner to like parties or whatever, like I project manage everything. And so this one manager kind of saw that in me really early and kind of set me on that path. And so I really credit him for setting me on that path of something like I'm really good about and good at and I'm passionate at. Um, that can allow me to grow. And so um, I remember really early, I was really young, I got this opportunity to manage a really big project in Chicago for the company. So the, the company at the time had um, acquired an American company in Chicago, and I was the, the project lead. I sort of managed that whole big project. And again, you know, I was young, um, but I, I was passionate about project management. It's something I love to do. And so, you know, I got the opportunity to do it. And then once I did that really big project in Chicago, I think I did it for about two years. And when I, when I finished, I was like, oh my God, like, I'm really good at this. And so I did my PMP. And I think, you know, a week after I did my PMP, I, I put my resume out there. And then, you know, I think a week later, I was working at ExxonMobil. <laughs> and so wow. I know it's one of those things where, A, if that manager didn't kind of see it in me and set me on that path. I wonder if I would have fallen into it eventually or would have taken me more time. Who knows? Uh, but in hindsight, I always think about, you know, how I kind of, how that started for me and how grateful I am to the manager at that time who kind of, you know, set me on that path. And then um, I just kind of took it from there. So again, I did my PMP. I left the company at the time because, you know, after, after once I finished my PMP, I felt like, okay, you know what? Now, you know, let's see what I can really do. Now it's time to kind of go out there and, and see what I can do. So I kind of left my comfort zone of the company I had been at for about five years. I kind of started my career. And um, I went to ExxonMobil and I worked there for about a year and a half. And I had a great experience at ExxonMobil. At the time, Exxon was probably one of the biggest companies in the world. And, um, you know, every, everyone who had worked there, for the most part, people who had worked there for 20, 30, 40 years, and they would always make fun of me that, you know, people had worked there longer than I had been born. <laughs> and so I found that um, the pace was a little bit slow because, again, it was a, it's a well-established company. They had a lot of processes in place that was really different from where I was coming from. I was coming from a place where, you know, things were, you had to be done so quickly and it was always like hectic, but ExxonMobil was so well run where there were like specific gates and, and of how they managed things. So the pace kind of felt a little bit slow for me. 
And so I thought, you know what, this is a company I want to come back and retire at later in life. But, you know, I was young at the time. I was like, you know, I need more. Like, you know, I want more. I need more excitement. And so um, I left and I went to Canadian Tire. And so that was like kind of my first, um, my first time at Canadian Tire. Um, I went, I started as a, a project manager as well. And I was a consultant at the time when I first started Canadian Tire. And then within a couple of months, um, my manager convinced me to go full time. And I did. And I, you know, I had such a great experience there. I, I was able to, again, fortunate enough to manage some really large projects. And I think this is one of the things why I love project managers because you can work in any industry, work on any kind of project because a project manager is a project manager. At the end of the day, it's the same skills, but you get to learn so many different things. The skills, it's so transferable. So I loved it. I got, I got to work on so many cool projects and do so many cool things. Um, so I was at Canadian Tire for about four and a half years. And then um, I went on my first mat leave. I had my first kid. And so while I was on mat leave, I remember thinking, you know, like, you know, after like seven, eight months, I kind of really wanted to go back to work because, you know, I was one of those people. And now in hindsight, I'm like, I was crazy. I should have just enjoyed myself and stayed home. <laughs> but I was like, no, I got to go back to work. I, you know, I don't want to stay home as long anymore. But in hindsight, I, I wish I had kind of taken my time. Um, and so at the time, one of the managers, um, actually one of the VPs I had worked with at Canadian Tire had left and gone to Sears. And he asked me, I was like, hey, why don't you come join us at Sears? And so I was on mat leave. I had been off work for about 10 months. I was like, you know what, this is probably a good opportunity to try other things, see what else is out there. And so I left Canadian Tire, you know, on, on a good note, you know, saying, you know, I just want to see what else is out there. And I went to Sears for about a year. And um, after about a year, I had another VP who I worked with at Canadian Tire kind of tap me and say, hey, you know, why don't you come join me at TD? And so, you know, then I said, oh, sure, why not? Let's try and see what else is out there. And then I went to TD Bank for about a year and a half. And, you know, I had a great experience at TD. Again, has a, at the time, I think I, at that time, I now became a program manager. And again, I just love the ability to be able to move from industry to industry, work on different projects and different things, because again, that same project management skill was really transferable. But with every change, you got, you got to learn a new company, a new way of doing things and really kind of enhance your skills the more and more, um, the more different areas you work. So it really benefited me. And then um, while at TD, I got pregnant again and was on my second child. So, you know, I always say every time I go on mat leave, I have to say, okay, what's next? What do I do? <laughs> But uh, this time around, um, I used that opportunity to do an executive MBA mm -hmm. because an MBA was something I'd always wanted to do, but I just, the timing was never right. I remember, uh, you know, when I was at Exxon, I said, oh, maybe I'll try and do my MBA, but the timing wasn't right. When I finished university, I wanted to do the MBA, the timing wasn't right. And so during my second mat leave, I'm like, you know what, this is probably a great opportunity because I'm going to be home and I'm going to have to be up at night taking care of the baby anyway. So, you know, hey, probably be great to do my executive MBA at the time. So, um. I applied to Kellogg Schulich, which um, again, love it. it, was you know best school in Canada. Anyone wants to do the executive <laughs> MBA, go to Kellogg Schulich. <laughs> and, and so I remember um, I was like seven months pregnant when I, when I went to the interview and um, I, I, I thought, you know, I don't think they'll accept me because, you know, I'm, I'm pregnant and, you know, would that be, would that count against me? And when the, they did the orientation, when they were done, I, I kind of ran out. And so fast forward to when like, you know, I did, I got in, you know, best experience. And um, the recruiter at the time, she tells the story. She's like, you know, Rachel, I remember when you first came to, to the orientation and like, you know, you were done and you, you just left and we thought you weren't interested. I was like, no, I was pregnant, I need to pee. So I ran to the bathroom and they're like, oh, okay. Um, and so, um, that year, my MBA was, was great. And I, again, I credit my mom and my husband because, you know, I had a three-month-old baby and a three-year-old um, at home while I was kind of doing my MBA. And, um, you know, they really kind of stepped up and, and helped me make sure I could kind of get through it. And I say today, it was like, you know, that MBA was one of the, like my best experiences. I had such a fantastic um, experience doing that. And so after about a year, um, you know, when maternity was officially over, I said, you know, what? Hey, back to work. And um, I said, you know, again, let me see what else is out there and try something new while I was still kind of um, in between. And so I went to Saks Fifth Avenue. I was there for about a year and um, 
you know, I was still halfway through my MBA when I started Saks. And, you know, as I was kind of finishing up, I kind of said to myself, you know, I really should start to think about settling down. Like I moved a lot in the last, you know, five years or so. I had to kind of move companies three or four times. And I really thought that, you know what, like I need to find somewhere to settle down to kind of grow because, you know, I, I can't, I can't really grow myself as much if I keep moving around. And it always came back to me, like, you know, the best experience I had had was Canadian Tire. Like I loved the company, the culture. And I was like, you know what, I just want to go back. And so again, I was fortunate and lucky enough that um, uh, an opportunity opened up. I, I kind of applied. And what's funny is um, when I, I applied for a completely different role and when I interviewed with my, my, my ex-boss, you know, she, she interviewed me for the role. We talked it through. And then when she was done, she was like, you know what? Like, I have another role for you. I'm going to send it to you. Let me know what you think. And she sent it to me. I'm like, oh, of course, this is perfect. Like, why didn't you tell me this to begin with? Like, this role is made for me. And <laughs> so that was, um, uh, you know, the, uh, my foray back into Canadian Tire. And, um, you know, I've loved it ever since. It's, it's, you know, such a great company, such a great experience. And, I was so happy to be back and uh, I'm three years into my return. Wow. That's very, very, very impressive. You said something very interesting. You said you were being tapped on the shoulder. I, I don't know, as, I, as we were talking about it, I was wondering, you've been tapped on the shoulder so much that your shoulder is supposed to be paining you by now. <laughs> <laughs> but wh- why do you think you were the one who was tapping on the shoulder? So I think it's, it's all about people, right? And I think people is really the secret to life is, you know, you treat people how you want to be treated. And when you treat people well, they'll treat you well in return, right? When you work well for people, they'll work well for you in return. And so I think, you know, I always go with the philosophy and I tell my team this all the time, like, you know, treat the janitor better than you treat the CEO. You know, treat everybody with kindness because you're only as good as the team underneath you, um, you know, make sure that every interaction that people have with you is, is one that they remember. So, you know, one of my favorite quotes is, um, you know, people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Right. So every time you're with somebody, leave them with a feeling that they, you know, want to be around you again. And that, and those are the people, the people you want to be around and people you will tap to just continue to be around you. So it's all about how you treat people and it can't be it can't be transactional it can't be because you know i'm looking for an opportunity then i'm going to be nice to this person or, or or treat people different it has to be it just has to be ingrained in who you are and making sure that you know you leave a lasting impression on people because those are the people when they need something they're going to come back to you or when they see an opportunity they'll remember you and they'll come back to you and so again it just always falls down to to people and how you treat them Thank you so much for living that value every day. As a leader, there have been times when, even when you came to Canada, there's, there's no way you wouldn't have faced one challenge or the other. As a newcomer, in as much as you were born in Canada, you left for a couple of years, 11 years, you still came back. You're still, I'm sure there are some things that were still new to you and all that. What were some of the odds that you personally faced and how did you overcome them? Um, I mean, I think me and people who know me, my ad, my personality is, I, I try, I try, and I know this is easier said than done, but I try not to let anything kind of s- slow me down, so to speak, or think about things in terms of like issues, but more in terms of, I think about things in terms of you know, problems that need to be solved, just like math. And I'm a math nerd, like everything has a solution. So, and, and I know, you know, of course, I'm sure there's a lot of different hurdles I've kind of faced over time, but I just reframe them and not to really think of them as issues or hurdles, more so of, you know, it's just part of life and things I need to get over. So now when I think back to things like that, I can't even, I, I can never really sort of pinpoint point like oh here's like a big massive thing I kind of had to get through even though like if I go into it I'm sure there's there's a ton of things like you know I had to learn and kind of go through and and things like you know think about even things as simple as like money management right when you come here as a young person you get a good job and like I remember like there was when I first started consulting I was young and it was consulting and you think you're making a lot of money and you're spending it and next thing you know you get hit with this massive tax bill (laughs) and having to kind of deal with those kind of problems or just having to sort of learn a new system, a new way of, of, of how things work. 
And again, I, I, I credit a lot to the people around me. I think I was lucky that like, there were so many people in front of me who I had the ability to learn from and, and see kind of some of the mistakes they made or things they did and how I can kind of self-correct and, and correct myself. So I, I just want to say, I think for the most part, um, you know, my, I think mind frame um, can really do a lot to, to kind of overcome things that, you know, other people may perceive has, has issues or hurdles. Um, if you kind of, you know, reframe them in your mind, you know, those things you may not seem to you as a hurdle or, or an issue, but more of just, you know, just another stepping stone that you need to kind of get across. And that's how I kind of really think about um, most of the challenges I think I've kind of faced um, up to date. So then, and, and when you reframe it, when I reframe them in my mind that, that way, you know, it doesn't really easily come to me and say, okay, what are some of these big challenges I've had? Because I honestly, at this point, I can't even really think of a big one that I could say, hey, well, here's a great example of a hurdle I've kind of gone through because um, I, I think I just try to take any hurdles or issues day by day, break them into small pieces and, and just take it step by step. And then that way they don't really feel as big as an issue or hurdle for me. Thank you. Um, but still, still speaking on challenges and um, hurdles, can you tell us of a time when you had no idea what you were doing and how you navigated <laughs> Every day? that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm someone who's, I've changed roles a lot, right? Like I've, I've, I've gone to a lot of different companies and every, every time I step into a new role, it's like, I have no idea what I'm doing because every company is different, even though, you know, you, you, you have skill set, but every company is different. Every role is different. So every time I step into a new role, it's like, oh my God, I have no idea what I'm doing. But again, I think I, I always break things down into small pieces where it's not so daunting, where it's not like I'm not facing this massive problem where I can just break it into small steps one by one and then take each step and, and you know, overcome each step, step by step to finally get to the, to the big picture. So I think, you know, I think one of the, in my recent memory, one of the big challenges I can think about was um, when I was, you know, getting towards the end of my MBA and I knew that, you know, I wanted to go somewhere and kind of like settle down and start building a career. I think it took me about a year to find the, to, to get back to Canadian Tower. I, um, I, you know, searched on LinkedIn all the time and, and cause you know, I was at a point where like, I didn't want to sell for just any job. I didn't want to sell for just any role. I knew there was something specific I wanted and I couldn't find it. And like for a year I was emailing people, I was applying nothing was happening. I wasn't getting any call paths. I wasn't getting any, and it, it's discouraging. And so I tell people all the time when they're looking for jobs, like it takes time. I think um, in hindsight now, I, I think I should have, I could have mentally prepared myself better for the amount of time it took. But because in my past, like I said, I've always been tapped on like, oh, hey, come and do this role or come. I never really had a period of time where I had to actually, you know, really look for a role and trying to find something. And so that was, I think, at that time, I remember when I did finally start to like make progress was when I said, you know what, I'm just going to like email whoever in this company and, and introduce myself and say, I'm looking for an opportunity and see where it gets. And it did, it did open some doors. It did open some, some doors for me, but I never just really found that right role until, you know, something opened up for me again at Canadian Tire. And it was hard. It was hard going through that period of time where like I'm doing this executive MBA and you go in, you know, you think you go in with the perception of okay, I'm doing an executive MBA once I'm done, you know, all the doors will just open for me and there'll be a job waiting right for me that right then and there for me to step into. But it, it you know, it took me almost a year to finally find what I wanted. So um, it was hard. But again, I think I, I am mindset, mind frame of, you know, just putting yourself in that positive mind frame, reframing it has not an issue, but just like, you know, this is the stepping so way I need to go through. And so next time I'll know exactly what to do. So if I had to do that all over again, I know exactly how I would reapproach it. Um, just so that I wouldn't feel as anxious and stressed as I did uh, during that time. Mm. So yeah, let's let's uncover that a little bit. Do you, if you can just quickly take us through like the practical steps, like maybe you, you mentioned that you were emailing people. How did you find those people? How did you write the email? Did you just write them uh, some long email telling them like your mm -hmm. life story or <laughs> and attaching your resume to it and saying, mm -hmm. if you find a job in your company, let me know, you know, mm -hmm. because I just finished mm -hmm. Northwestern. Mm -hmm. If you can take us through that step, mm -hmm. that would be helpful for our audience. Yeah. So what I, and what I did was, and I didn't, I didn't do this until probably months and months in, I crafted this, 
just two paragraphs, one or two, I think it was one or two paragraphs, right? Because no one, if I don't know you, if people don't know you, no one wants to read a story from someone they don't know. So it was a very, one or two paragraphs, very quick and straight to the point. Hi, my name is this, you know, I'm just, and I remember it was like more of an introductory, like, you know, I'm completing my MBA at Kellogg Schulich. You know, this company was one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to do an MBA. I'm really interested in kind of, you know, learning about your company and kind of grow, you know, I'd be happy to kind of, you know, if you had five, 10 minutes to chat. I sent it to a bunch of heads at Google, at um, Amazon, a bunch of companies. And, you know, one of the heads at Google responded and said, sure, you know, let's chat. <laughs> and he, we did. We, I, met, I remember I met him up at the office here in, in Toronto and he was so gracious to spend some time with me and give me some tips. And it was one of those things like, you know, he didn't have a role available, but just the fact that like, you know, he spent some time with me and gave me some tips and, you know, and, and said, listen, like, if you find a role, like talk to me. And I think it was two or three other companies that, you know, and these are people I never knew. I just kind of sent them that email and saying, you know, let's see what happens. And, um, you know, and they did. So, you know, nothing, it didn't pan out, but hey, I built a network and built a connection and it kind of gave me more confidence as well. More confidence of like, oh, you know what, maybe I do have a good story to tell so that I can continue to reach out to people and, and people maybe open to listen. So I think even if anything, it's the confident booster that it kind of gives you knowing that, you know, you can market yourself on to someone who you don't know and you can kind of get a response. And so in hindsight, if I, if I were to do, do, do things differently, I think I wouldn't, cause I probably didn't realize that, Oh, you know what? I should just start reaching out to people. I probably didn't do that until like six, seven months in the journey. So if I was to do it again today, day one, <laughs> I would like get the craft that email, get it ready and start and, and I'll probably send it out to more people, right? Like I was, you know, in the beginning, I was like, well, you know, I don't want to bother people, you know, I don't know how they'll feel. Um, but you'll be surprised how many people are just are willing to help. <laughs> right. And I always pay it forward. Right. That's the thing. I always try and pay it forward because I know what it feels like, you know, when you just you're reaching out somebody you don't know, I think that's even more of like you know, somebody, you know, takes the, 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 the chance of like, listen, like, I don't know you, but like, I need your help. And so I think things like that are always, it always draws me in because, um, you know, the, the courage it takes to do things like that, or, or you know, you, you probably really need the help. So I always try to pay for it as well. And so again, in hindsight, I would have done that earlier. And more often, I would probably reach out to more people. And now when I tell people, I'm like, listen, you send that email to 100 people, at least three or four will respond. And all you need is one. Mm -hmm. So that's all it takes, just one person. Often in your career, I'm sure there are times when you are a minority, perhaps the only woman in the room, the person with an accent, etc. many other things. Did this affect you on your professional path? So for me, I think I, again, I think I really credit the fact of growing up in Nigeria between the ages of 18 and my formative years, because again, I was able to build my confidence of um, who I am and I know what I bring to the table. And so, yeah, a lot. And many times, you know, the only woman in the room or the only black person in the room, the only black person and the only woman in the room. But I think I, 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 I'm, I'm able to see past that because I know what I bring to the table. Uh, and I don't put, I put, I don't put that, that onus on me. Like if someone else feels uncomfortable, that's really their problem. But I make sure I'm not uncomfortable because as long as I'm prepared, with you know you know with i know what i'm doing i'm prepared with like the work of what we're here to do i know i bring just as much to the table as anybody else so um i i i see past it and i know it's easier said than done but um you know i i focus on what i bring to the table that's what i and i make sure that i don't let any other kind of thoughts or things like that kind of impede my success because at the end of the day the only person that would be impacted would be me so i i i typically just focus on you know, the skills I have, the skill sets I have, making sure I'm prepared and what I bring to the table. And, you know, I feel like, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure there's been times in the past where people do look at me or second look at me or when I walk in the room, wonder, but I always, I'm always confident in that, you know what, as soon as we start working, you'll see why I'm at the table. And, um, and so I don't, I don't even think twice about it. That's fantastic. And, you know, uh, in the course of this conversation, it's, you've, you've spoken about people who tap you on the shoulder. And I'm sure some of those people have played the role of like mentorship. It's more like sponsorship. What role has mentorship and sponsorship played in your own career? 
I mean, you know, you, you said right there, sponsorship, it's, it's, it's huge, right? Because those are the people that pull you up, that will speak for you, that will um, advocate for you and will tap you on the shoulder to, to, to come work with them or, or for a position. So I think it's critical, especially if you work in the corporate world, find that sponsor, right? A lot of times it can happen naturally, um, but you know, you can also just tap somebody you admire and say, hey, listen, like, you know, I would like for you to kind of be my sponsor. Um, because especially in big companies or any company, really, you need that person who, you know, if people are saying, hey, we think we want to promote X, Y, Z, there has to be somebody who can say, yeah, that person is good. You need to, you know, promote that person or I stand behind that person at that senior level. And I also, I always say also like, you know, it, and it shouldn't only be at the senior level. You need to have, I personally think you need to also have sponsors at like your own level or even the level below you because sometimes you know a manager or hiring manager may say hey like ask your colleagues like what do you think about that person or ask people who work for you what do you think about that person so you need people around you who are going to promote you who are going to speak well of you who are going to advocate for you um you know at, at every level so again it's it's definitely extremely important to have someone at the senior level who is advocating for you at the very top but don't forget about the people around you and underneath you who you also need to advocate for you as well how did you find your own mentors and sponsors because sometimes people say that sponsorship you don't ask for it it's because they are putting their name behind your back so they have to be exposed to your work in the past so that they can be sure that you can you're competent enough to deliver so in your own in your own journey how how did you find your mentors and your sponsors? So for me, um, you're right. I've kind of naturally fallen into it whereby it's either a manager I've worked with or somebody who's close to me who, who knows my work and advocate for me, who did, we've just kind of naturally kind of fallen into that sort of sponsorship mentorship relationship. Um, that's always, that's kind of what's always kind of worked with me, but that's not the only way. I know many people who've tapped someone and said, Hey, listen, like I, I want you to be my sponsor and how you, can you help me kind of work together? So, um, I, I've found that because my sponsors, it's kind of been natural. It's just kind of, you know, we've happened to have a relationship. It's, it's kind of worked that way for me because, um, they know me and I know them and we're comfortable to talk. Um, but, um, you know, I've, I've sponsored people who've just reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, I want to work with you because I admire, you know, your leadership style and I want to kind of work with you. And then, you know, I take the ability to kind of learn that person, learn that style and to able to see, you know what, this is somebody I can actually advocate for as well in the organization. In my interviews thus far, um, the common thread across them all is people will say, we took this job that no one else wanted. Do you think that's because than immigrants? And if so, why do you think that? Well, I, I, I think um, sometimes you have to do things you don't, need, you don't want to do to get to where you want to be, right? I think we all probably had to go through or do work that is grunt work that you don't really want to do, but you do it just to get that foot in the door. So I remember like, you know, when I was working at the call center, me and my husband, like we, we worked at the call center, we hated it. <laughs> we didn't like it, <laughs> no, but, but we knew it was a necessary evil to get to where, you, where we wanted to be. And so you do those sacrifices because, and then you'll, you'll realize you'll get to a point in your career where you're able to have the chance and the choice. So I would say never, never take any opportunity, any opportunity that you see could be a stepping stone to something else, could open another door, no matter how much you don't want to do it, take that opportunity because you never know where that opportunity can lead you to. All right. What advice would you give to newcomers, immigrants and international students who are still trying to navigate their journey? I would say, um, especially in this day and age where, you know, we're going thing, through things like COVID and how rapidly it changes industries and, and consumer behavior, I would say, try to be, 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 be great at one or two things, but be good at a lot of different things so that you're able to pivot yourself as easy as possible. Try and be a generalist, like know, again, enough about enough things that if an opportunity arises in different spots, you're flexible enough that you can kind of move um, from one role or one opportunity to the other because you know a number of different things, right? The markets, they're changing so fast. The world is changing so fast and so rapid. So right now, you know, everything is about digital and digital transformation because of COVID that really accelerated, accelerated um, that. But 
who knows where we're going to be next year? Who knows what the, you know, what the trends are going to be, you know, six months from now. So I would say for one, again, be a generalist. And for two, look for, like, look for people who can support you. Find that support system. Find people um, who can guide you. Find people who can advise you. People who can show you the hoops and, and show you, show you the, the path that they went on. Um, don't be afraid to reach out to people, right? Go on LinkedIn, find people, profiles or, or companies and just reach out. Um, you know, again, it can be daunting, but at the end of the day, just think about where you want to get to. And, you know, at the worst case scenario, somebody won't respond to you, but you know, best case scenario, somebody does and that person, that one person, that one response can, can be what propels you, um, to where you want to be. So be a generalist, find people, you know, build a network. You really work your network and uh, reach out to people as much as possible. Yeah, finally, imagine sitting across the young girl, Rachel. What advice would you <laughs> give her? <laughs> I would tell her to, she should have enjoyed her mat leaves a lot better, for one, because <laughs> she was in a rush. I would say just, you know, maybe slow down a little bit, right? Um, enjoy every phase that you're in don't don't rush to get to the next phase because the next phase is coming and the next phase will be here with all its challenges and stuff so you know live in the moment and and you know plan for the future but still live in the moment enjoy the phase you're in and take it step by step uh don't don't get ahead of yourself <laughs> thank you so much rachel thank you thank you for your time thank you for the opportunity Anytime. to have this conversation um i truly appreciate it thank you no problem. Thank you, David. That was fun. I enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Fresh Start. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with someone you know and love. Please go ahead and subscribe on any platform you listen to your podcast. And also please take a moment to leave us a review because that would help us to reach more audience. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at FreshStartUp. If you know any newcomer you think would be a good fit to interview for the podcast, we'd like to hear from you. Please go to www.thefreshstartup.com to nominate someone. We appreciate you and remember, no matter how hard the past is, you can always begin again. Take care and have a great week.